Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I have a message for you, and you're not going to like it. It's the Kill by Kill Pod. Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. Now, we're going to unpack all the gory details of John Carpenter's 1987 classic, Prince of Darkness, in the hopes that a grad student's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust that when I pass away comfortably in my sleep, she will pass the key that I keep on my chest at all times. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? Well, I regret to tell you that I, I bring no skills to this particular endeavor. <laughs> I, I What kind I, of skills do you need for this endeavor? I, I don't know how to read Latin. Oh, uh, sure. Okay. I, I don't know how carbon dating things works. Okay. <laughs> well, the computer <laughs> does most of that. You could collect some samples. I have faith in you. I, I'm pretty useless. <laughs> I don't I don't see that as true at all. I would totally take you on a mission that will get almost all of my students killed. That, that sounds like a great plan. That will have zero <laughs> repercussions. At the end of this, there's a there's a shot of them like wheeling dead bodies out. And I'm wondering, how the fuck do any of them explain this to the cops? <laughs> Like we 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 were studying a, a column of liquid and then a lot of people died. They all just went crazy and killed each other. You know, it happens. <laughs> you know, it happens. You know, things get crazy when you're doing experiments and such. But uh, I don't want to alarm you, Gina. We are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest. Of course, he is one half of PredictoCast. He's a returning champion here to Kill by Kill. And of course, he's our main source of art on the show. In fact, I would say he's the third longest member of the Kill by Kill <laughs> team. The one, the only Josh Hollis. How are you doing today, Josh? I am doing great. And I'm I'm super honored to be on this episode. I know that Susan, you know, the radiologist with glasses, she dropped out and I was very happy to step in in her place. I was heartbroken because as we all know, she was on Days of Our Lives as as a Brady sister. And that means so much to me, but I'm glad that you could step up to the plate. I, I do like the running gag of, yes. of, of Susan. Who? <laughs> the brunette with glasses and, and I, I you know as a brunette with glasses i felt that deep inside my soul and yet when she crawls into your bunk in the middle of the night like you're like oh, listen i'm not into well maybe i'm not into it <laughs> maybe i am into it she goes to that that a demonic makeover loses those glasses <laughs> yes. Well, this poor lass um, is really gets it coming and going. I mean, she's introduced at one point being sexually harassed by someone who knows that she's married. It's super fucking weird. <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy, uh, Frank. Yeah. Very Frank. cool dude. I, I, I have to get this out of the way first. Sure. I fucking love this movie, man. I... I, I, every time someone mentions it, I'm like, oh, I really love that movie. And then I watch it again. And I'm like, I really love this movie. This might be my favorite John Carpenter movie. I can completely understand that. I fucking love this movie too. I saw it in movie theaters at the AMC Burbank back when it was just 10 in a location that is now a parking structure. And I got it 
right away. Like I totally zoned in on what it was and in watching it all the years since I've, it's almost, I've only gained appreciation for it. I don't quite understand those who might consider it lesser carpenter when in fact it is mainline great carpenter. Yeah, and and it's it's for me. I, I I hold up with David Lynch movies, and I I don't know how to exactly explain what happens in it. Yeah, right, but sure. but I am I'm into it anyway. I I am I'm feeling it. It's very distilled. Like it, Prince of Darkness may be the most John Carpenter John Carpenter film. It's just it's all of the specters of his religious upbringing, and and you know, in, in the you know. Kentucky, Tennessee area. I can't quite remember. I think it's Tennessee that he grew up in, but it's also this thirst of knowledge he has for computers and the sciences and what he was reading at the time. But it's also like a hangout movie that becomes assault on precinct 13 with a massive dose of like zombie movies and British quater mass. Like it's just all of his little passions wrapped up in one $3 million ball. Also, star, also starring some of the cast of Big Trouble in Little China. Yes, he rescues some great cast members from uh, Big Trouble in Little China. I have I have an amazing story about this movie. Um, so in 2019, in the before times, um, mm-hmm. I I was lucky enough to go to a screening of this in the church where they filmed it. What? Oh, yeah. Um, and it was incredible. Like, obviously, they you know have sets and things for the for the uh, tomb stuff underground, but like the the church was you know the the big main room where they're all set up. That was inside the church and and the outside, of course. But yeah, the the there was a I think it was like a theater troupe or or something that um, they hold classes and stuff there. And they did a screening like right before Halloween in 2019 and they had it like decked out. They had the, the like crucified bird thing set up mm-hmm. in the alleyway that you could walk around and like you could a lot of, it, it was slightly different. The church was slightly different from the way that it was uh, when they filmed it. But for the most part, it was pretty much just like you would expect it to be from the movie. And I think even to that point, I had, I had always thought that this was really good and I, I really liked it, but just watching it then it clicked with how much sort of dread and menace from like the first minute of the movie is just, it permeates throughout the whole thing. Like there's, there's never a moment where it feels like it lets up. Like there's the music stops, I think for like half a second, about nine minutes in, and then it picks back up again. Yeah, <laughs> Like you don't have any, like there's no way to breathe. It just, it's like oppressive, but in a good way. There's two hours of music for a movie that is only 141 minutes long. <laughs> just to just to let everyone know where John Carpenter was when it comes to this particular theme. It's just unending. Something that a couple of uh, film critics were not happy about. This seems to have confounded a lot of people. Uh, Roger Ebert amongst them. He was just kind of like, I like the ideas, but I, I don't know what's going on here. And then supposedly these people are smart and yet they're wandering off. It's like, they don't have to be observed, dude. They're grad (laughs) students and professors. Like they can go to the bathroom by themselves. They don't know they're in a fucking horror movie, Roger. (laughs) Right. I mean, they don't, you know, they don't go into this knowing that, you know, it's a big service full of devil juice. 
Yeah, and even <laughs> when they discover it's a thermos of devil juice, they don't all automatically believe it from the get-go, because who the fuck would? <laughs> um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, this movie was made for $3 million. This comes off the heels of the sort of box office disaster, which unfortunately was Big Trouble in Little China. And listen, Big Trouble... Mm, you know, <laughs> I I like it on a personal level. There's some confusing bits to it and all, but it li- really landed in one of the busiest fucking summers of all time, including right in the middle of the releases of Top Gun, Aliens, Cronenberg's version of The Fly, and even Friday the 13th Part 6. So, like, it didn't really arrive, you know, in an empty spot. And one of the campaigns for it, its main campaign, was asking, who is this lead character? <laughs> they were just like, who is Jack Burton? And that was supposed <laughs> to get people to show up to a fucking movie theater. Yeah, yeah, it's it's parallel it's paralleled with the uh, with the thing, which implausibly, you know, given what it, you know, the classic that it is now, flopped in the theater because it opened at the same time as E.T. And <laughs> and it, you know, America was not interested in seeing monstrous aliens. They were not, certainly not a mere month and change after E.T. had landed. And E.T. is a movie that it's not like today where, like, you have about a month worth of time before you're relegated to rerun theaters. E.T. was in theaters for a year and a half. It just kept going. Man, I miss those days of, like, being, like, a kid. I I remember this specifically with something like Titanic, which seemed to be in theaters for, like, two and a half years. It felt like, like, it just never left. And nowadays, it's like... Oh, it's it's this cool movie's playing this weekend. Well, it's gone now. Sorry. Right? Yeah, you you see it from the first two weeks, or you know, you're fuck off. You know, I mean, you wait you wait for it to come out in DVD in a month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you know, he he makes big trouble, in little China, and he's you once again fucked over by his studio because Christine was a pretty decent hit. Like he had momentum. So when he sold Fox on Big Trouble, he he got a a, a big budget do a lot of things with and it just didn't fire now of course its reputation has been rescued over time but that says everything about every john carpenter movie with the exception of vampires which genuinely sucks so <laughs> saying that carpenter felt fucked uh on that film is a, is a real understatement so his response was to make a deal with a guy named Shep Gordon. Shep Gordon was a, a music producer and a concert promoter and by all accounts, a very nice guy. And he wanted to get, to get in the movie business and he thought that the best way to always make a profit was to do horror. He, he said it was the best bet in town. So long as you kept the budget reasonable, you could make money doing it. And of course, we now know that is the prevailing attitude towards horror he was just ahead of the curve so for three million dollars carpenter could do whatever he wanted so he went back to the same well of the thing the end of days and this time it would be a metaphysical anti-god that dwells in the pocket universe of antimatter and all he needs is for its son the who's been self-contained within a barrel of murder slurpee to (laughs) open the door to the other dimension in which he dwells and that's Prince of Darkness in, uh, you know, pretty much a, a nutshell. Uh, Gina, where can people find you on these here? <laughs> 
you distilled it down really well. But like, even just hearing that, I'm like, man, I love that. I love how hokey that is, but also <laughs> like this weird idea of mixing the science with the supernatural and the spirituality and like just cramming all that together in ways that don't totally make sense, but mm-hmm. like still it just, it, it, I, I'm this weird, I, I think there's lots of people like me probably who maybe grew up in religious households, but have, have since kind of moved on and, and done their own thing and, you know, kind of figured out whatever they believe in. And mm-hmm. I don't really, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really believe in anything. I guess I'm sort of between agnostic and, and atheist, but like, I still have this fondness for satanic based horror films so like oh, something like this 100 me too it, it like race with the devil like anything that has like satanic cults or like weird like satanic overtones for some reason i'm just like all in i love those they they hit some weird thing in me whether it's like the repressed religious urges that are still there and deep in my mind and and it's tapping into those things but yeah i i just i love all of that like that weird idea that the anti-God walked the earth, you know, uh, millions of years ago and he put his son in this thing and buried it. And then Jesus is an alien that came to earth to try to stop him and the people didn't like it. So they killed Jesus. And like, <laughs> it's just like so insane, but I, I, I love all of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting to me that this is often left out of conversations about religious horror. And I don't know if it's because it's so particularly bleak about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, basically the movie more or less, you, you think that they have saved the day and then you realize, nope, this is still happening. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you they, may they, have delayed it, yeah, but it was always going th- to this happen. This is still going to be a thing that's going to happen in the year 1999. Weirdly, it, it may have all been a trick for it to happen in 1999. That's what it kind of proposes is like, oh, we got you all here and you thought you were going to do something, but what you did was seal your own fate. Is yeah. What it's proposing. I, I love that. And, and Gina, you saying the one nine, nine, nine thing. I knew that before I'd ever seen the movie because um, I, it, that is sampled on uh, an album by DJ shadow that came out, I think in like 96 or something, 2006. I, I can't remember exactly, but he, he uses all of the um, all of the transmissions as like little interludes between songs, hmm. and so I remembered hearing that and not knowing what it was from until I saw the movie like a couple of years later, and then was like, "Oh, that's where that's from," because he's just using samples throughout the album, and he yeah he he does those transmissions like in full throughout the throughout the album. Josh, I I just love the very idea that you learned about this movie through an album, and I bought a ticket to this R-rated <laughs> film by myself. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so fucking old. Gina. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, this one I did not see in the theater. I think this one was uh was on cable for me. It kind of lived there, and it has a weird, different opening of the cable version because they had to shorten a little bit, so they truncate that uh, opening credits down to its bare essence, which is there's a, a vat of ectoplasm cooler that's super pissed off, uh, and Donald Pleasance is aware of it, and then there's a guy named Brian who's a grad student who is constantly leering at a redhead. 
And that's, that's, that's the <laughs> this opening. is the old. This is the only. That's the only part of the movie that does not work for me. Oh, yeah. this this Whatever. sort of like like forced romance between these two characters who literally just meet that same day, or yeah, like I mean, I'm sorry, I mean, I'll, I'll be a little more charitable. The day before, yeah, sure. Were they not in class together, or is this class just starting? I thought they I, knew each other kind of like loosely because they were in class together, but maybe I'm wrong. I think they're aware of one another, but don't really know one Got another. it. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't totally clear to me. I was just kind of caught up in, like, how hunky Jameson Parker is and how he fills out that polo in that first shot of him. You're he's like, man, he's a, on, he's a hunky dude. And this is probably is, is also some weird repressed stuff that I have to figure out. But he kind of looks like my dad, who I don't really know. So <laughs> Oh, okay. Hold on, Josh. Let's get you in contact with some people. We can, we can walk this. Are you guys? Because- are you guys sponsored by BetterHelp this uh, <laughs> this week on the show? Are you attracted to someone who could have been your dad but probably wasn't because he was on television at the time? Well, BetterHelp is here for you. Uh, yeah, he's got a a weird. Uh, constantly leering porn stashed presence. I think it's the mustache. I think yeah, that's that, what that, does that, it. That, that stash is distracting. Because <laughs> it looks fake in a couple of shots. <laughs> and I don't think that it is, but it, like it's just so big and full and like perfect. And you're just like, is that real? I don't it know. It doesn't belong on his face. It looks like it crawled on there and made a home. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'll just roll with it. You yeah, know? I, I don't think a graduate student has that much time for, for <laughs> facial hair grooming. Yeah, seriously. It would it would be a full beard. Like, I feel like uh, Dirk Blocker as Mullins looks more like the kind of grad student you would <laughs> oh, expect. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> He's like a he's like a second away from just like smashing a beer can on his forehead. <laughs> he looks like he's rolled out of bed and into class every scene he's in. <laughs> he just does not look like he slept and does not have a great diet. But that's like but that's way more accurate than Jameson Parker in like his pressed polo and dockers. <laughs> yes. It's a real like, odd look. He he's a he's a grad student for this for this science program but it looks like he's a football player or something like a quarterback the the camera spends a lot of time examining his chest and i'll go out and like it's a fine it's fine it's fine but it's also not like oh my god look at this hey man he was fit goals for me so (laughs) but uh he's a weird actor presence because like the only way i kind of known him previous to this was that I was aware he was on a TV show called Simon and Simon, which I was shocked to discover premiered on television before Magnum PI because Simon and Simon feels very much like an executive going, go uh, make me one of those Magnum PIs. (laughs) It just does not have any significant cultural impact. That was uh, that was all. him and Major Dad, right? Gerald McRaney. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. That show was on for a long time from what I can see here. 81 to 89, which is mind-boggling. <laughs> I mean, 1989. Can you imagine <laughs> Miami Vice is on the air in full and they're still like, I don't know, one more season of Simon and Simon? <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? What the, do we uh, have to and, lose? And then the other, one of the other actors in it, uh, the actor who gets impaled on the bicycle, was mm-hmm. on a TV show that was essentially a ripoff of Simon and Simon. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was also two brothers. Yes. <laughs> a completely different Get Me a Magnum PI 
show called Riptide. Yeah, and, and, he, and he was once again the nerdy sidekick. He owned a <laughs> robot. He owned a oh. robot, and I think the brothers had a big helicopter. Again, I did not watch this show. I was just aware <laughs> of its existence. And the only thing I was really aware of is they had a big helicopter, and this guy, Tom Bray, owned a robot on the show. So <laughs> that's, that's all that impacted my child brain. And I think it's worth Amazing. noting that, yes, it's a part of Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy. So it's kind of the second between the thing and in the mouth of madness, which also have a thread of the enemies always from beyond and hiding right underneath our feet. Like it's been here for a really long time. It's just this time it happens to be a column of pissed off ectoplasm cooler. The other thing that is worth noting is this is Carpenter's most European film by a long shot. It is serious Bava Argento Fulci vibes throughout, despite its downtown LA setting. Oh man, the, um, Frank's murder feels like a Jalo film. Like the the shots yes. of the knife and the you know everything that's happening, the faraway shots of the lady running up. Like I was like, oh man, he just. He just did his own little mini Jalo right here for this one murder scene. It's straight out of Suspiria 78. It's the killing of the blind piano player who yes. has a dog who runs off. And then all of a sudden the dog comes out of nowhere and bites his throat out. It's this, it's like very, very much the same as that. And uh, it's not to say that he's lifting. It's just, you can tell the influence of how he wanted to bring this a across and you have all that gothic attitude coming across with the layer of of the column and the candles, despite it being filmed in what what's been described as a crumbling basement in Long Beach, California. <laughs> I was curious about that. Like, did someone go in and light all those candles before the team showed up, or were they just oh, lit when when the priest goes down there? <laughs> yeah, it does. Look, it does I, look a little bit like a like a hair metal video. <laughs> <laughs> it, but not in a bad way. In, I think in something like this is this is a set for a, a meatloaf, like a meatloaf video. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like he'll do anything for love, but he won't be a vessel for Satan. <laughs> yes, he will not take a load from Satan in the face. <laughs> <laughs> the other elements that I think are interesting with this film is, and really all of Carpenter's, you know, over. Since we're not, uh, as far as I'm aware, Gina, we're not going to be invited on to, to a blank check to talk John Carpenter for the back half of the year. I assume, like, anything could happen, but probably not. Probably so, not. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not penciling in space on my schedule for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're cool. We're not that cool. But Carpenter's always in conversation with himself from, pro, from project to project. So he's coming off of a very Asian cinema influenced big budget action flick. And so he downshifts here into something that's more personal, but he brings with him Victor Wong and Dennis Dunn and puts them in very different reflective roles of where they were before. Victor Wong was a person who knew a lot about Chinese mythology and, you know, sorcery. And here he is a scientific professor who seems to know all about how everything you think is very, very wrong. And Dennis Dunn is doing weird Jewish mother jokes. So <laughs> and, and apparently struggling with his sexuality. 
<laughs> that's the one improv I liked. Uh, <laughs> some of the other Dennis Dunn Bon Mots uh, don't quite weather as well. Yeah, that's the only thing I think. Like, I wasn't as put off by the the romance between uh, Brian and Catherine as as quick as it is. But did, some of Dennis Dunn's jokes, I think, I think wore on me a little bit, especially towards the the end of the movie. Yeah, like I feel like it's okay towards the beginning, but once like shit gets real i feel like that stuff has to stop and he does he doesn't he he never at any point never really seems scared um, until he freaks out until he has even then that kind of crazy it, it, hissy it, fit it, 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 even then it kind of feels a little like slapsticky uh-huh. but like he is hiding in this closet and like looking out at them and he keeps talking to them yeah <laughs> and it's like you, you should just be quiet and wait for them to go away. <laughs> you know, yeah. if, you, if, you, if you're hiding from someone who may very well kill you in a horrible manner, you're not going to be saying stuff like, oh, normally I like being dominated by women. <laughs> <laughs> he needed a you, cigar to twirl around. Yeah, you would be like, you would be like crouching down, trying not to cry and making peace with your God and not coming off like the classic pickle stork. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when is the Vlasic Pickle Stork getting a major motion picture role? Like, why can't that guy make it in this town? I mean, He's Jerry good enough Se- commercials. Jerry Seinfeld's writing a fucking movie about the invention of the pop tart, so why not, you know, get the Vlasic <laughs> Pickle Stork his own uh, his own franchise? If those two guys could do a two hander, I think we could make a billion dollars. <laughs> I think that would be great. The other thing here, they. It has always kind of bugged me a little bit, but has a redeeming quality to it is that Prince of Darkness kind of exploits a lot of stereotypes about the unhoused in downtown LA. Um, yeah. But in, in response to this, like I'm sure Carpenter, you know, felt a very certain way about doing this, but in the very next film he does, he humanizes every unhoused person in downtown LA and they live <laughs> true. It's not like he's, he's one of those directors who kind of learned along the way and isn't afraid to show his work. And that's what I think is part of what elevates him above some uh, of his contemporaries in this fashion. Uh, Craven is, is the same. He's always having conversations with himself in his films. But Carpenter really loves to show that work. Maybe Carpenter is just adding to how bad Satan is, since it's Satan's doing that is that is possessing all of these these people, the the unhoused people, to do his bidding. He's like, look how yeah. bad Satan is taking advantage of these people. Uh, yeah, they don't even notice a lot of bugs on their face. They're really absorbed in their world. But let's get into some of our characters here uh, that that don't have uh, obscene mustaches. Uh, <laughs> let's start with the man, the myth, the legend, Donald Pleasance here playing priest, just priest. The the probably most useless character in this entire movie. And, and my my favorite part is at the end where they're taking him away, and he's like, "I did it! I saved everyone." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did throw that axe and break the break the mirror, but yes, it is very funny that he's like, "I, I did it! I did it!" <laughs> I'll take that commendation now. <laughs> is the Pope going to give the, me a medal? 
I mean, really, it, really, it was uh, Catherine you know, sacrificing herself by leaping into the mirror that saved everyone. Yes, of yeah, course. She's doing a full-on football tackle, you know, sacrificing not just her life, but quite possibly her soul and condemning her, herself to whatever existence is in this other dimension, which I think about a lot. <laughs> that shot of her reaching towards the light in complete darkness kiddos <laughs> when i have quiet moments <laughs> when when the world seems too much and the creep the darkness creeps in that is the image that i think about oh this this whole movie is just it, it is one big long nightmare and, yeah. and and that's why i compare it to like david lynch like i would say like lost highway no idea what's going on in that movie I don't sure, think I don't yeah. think I think anybody that tries to explain it is just going to sound like they're talking out of their ass after a little while. But it just feels like you are caught in a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And and that's what um, and that's what this feels like. Yes, very much so. Um, Pleasant uh, foregoes his usual I eat while acting routine, which helps <laughs> him make sure that he's in all the scenes that he films. Because they can't cut around him eating. <laughs> Every time I see him on screen now, I'm like, hey, is he eating? Is he eating? This time he goes for cross-clutching. He's forever clutching across. Um, and he's constantly afraid. <laughs> um, and the weird thing is, that, like, he's kind of right the whole time, which is weird for a John Carpenter film. to have at least one person who's like, ah, no, no, I figured this out. And everyone's like, Let's run it through the computer. He's like, I don't need it, man. <laughs> We're all going down. He's he gives great concerned face throughout this movie, and it's fun to watch him go back and forth with Victor Wong, who's playing Professor Barack. And you know, Wong's like one of those big highlights from Little Trouble, uh, and it's super fun to see him occupy this sort of role as that elastic-minded, you know, science professor. In college, you know, he's always wearing a suit that it looks like he slept in and he's carrying a suitcase, which is far too big for him. (laughs) I could watch the two of them talk for hours. I just find it endlessly entertaining watching those two bounce off each other. Yeah, it's you'd think these are the parts going to be the boring parts, but, you know, still managed to be weirdly fascinating. Yeah, because it um, it tries to explain these very ideas in both religious and scientific means where they're trying to, because there's something they can't quite, neither of them can quite explain. They're trying to meet their philosophies in the middle to try to find some center to hold on to. And that's really fun to fucking watch and listen to. Like, those guys explaining these way out freaky concepts is a lot more palatable than let's say Jameson Parker's Brian, (laughs) (laughs) you know, who like spends a lot of time talking like, you know, like he's a jokester, but all his jokes are sexism is funny. (laughs) I don't, but his penis is magic. So what the fuck do I know? (laughs) And then of course there's the apple of Brian's eye. And that is, uh, lady scientist Catherine Danforth, played by Lisa Blount. She's kind of given um, a weird something but nothing role. Like, I do wish she was more active rather than looking at a computer screen and going, I don't know what the fuck this means. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's like, I don't know if the ending is to kind of give her like a larger, you know, thing to do and like make her sort of the hero, basically, uh, mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, but yeah, she doesn't do a ton. Like, there, it seems weird because in that, like, sort of the the second half when when they're fighting all the possessed people inside the church, she sort of disappears from from yeah. the movie for a little bit, and you like kind of forget that she's there until she shows up and sort of sees what's going on and and uh she spends most of her time trying to break that wall apart to get uh to get Walter through. Yeah. Yeah. So it's something like, like she's around. It's just it would have been nice to see her character who's obviously has a thought in her head express those thoughts or get into the debate, but a lot of that that sort of back and forth it either happens between, you know, Victor Wong and Donald Pleasance or Victor Wong and Jameson Parker. It's like, why can't she be a part of this? It just, it's weird that she's only a love interest up until the last five minutes of the movie. Yeah. We don't really get any sort of reason as to why she would feel so passionately. It's like, okay, it's me. I'm the one who has to sacrifice myself. Yeah. She just like looks at Jameson getting choked out and looks at (laughs) Kelly reaching through a a mirror and pulling out the devil from legend's hand (laughs) uh, (laughs) of mercury and going, I don't know. I think I got to gang tackle this, this bitch. And just, instead of just pushing her, like she could have just elbowed her into the other side. She, she has to gang tackle her, but you know what? It's her decision in the moment. Who's to say what decision we would make? Like, I, I just felt that if we given, and I think the you, one issue with the movie is, it is a minor one, but I think there may be a little bit of a, a, a surplus of characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's, that's and, and they, valid. And they, they do have some characters that just decide that they're going to leave. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. Uh, but but I, I do, there, there's maybe two or three many, too many characters in this. And, and I think because he realized, oh, we have all these characters, well, I can't spend all this time you know, developing all these characters, you ought to just go lose interest. But I would have liked to have seen, you know, her say or do something that would indicate that that she would do this. Because I don't know that a lot of people would. And how does she know that it's going to work? It's like a gut reaction that she thinks, well, if if they're pulling something from out from that side, I can push it back through, which I guess is what the Schrodinger's cat thing is at the beginning. Is that... Is that foreshadowing? Oh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> hey, if you're smart, tell me. Because <laughs> I can't fucking figure it out. I'm I'm running on the fly. Anyways, like the, the plot's pretty simple here, kids. Uh, Professor Barack uh, used to debate priest who runs by one name, like Cher and Madonna, on, on television. And so he gets none served with an invitation to talk to priest again. And he goes, hey, come on, check out this thing. I got this key from a dead guy. <laughs> Tale as old as time. And let's go down to the basement. And why don't you bring all your scientists and specialists, uh, bring them to the church, and let's examine this extra, extra large container of apocalypse juice and determine, uh, like, what the fuck's going on inside. And everybody's and just like, a lot the, of bugs. And everybody's just like, well, okay. <laughs> I guess I'll flunk. Well, I guess I'll I, tell them. I guess I'll flunk this class. Yeah. I don't know what kind of situation he has at USC, 
But uh, when you gather a lot of your students and you're like, hey, your grades would be greatly improved by putting your lives on the line to examine Satan under a microscope. <laughs> and like a, like a good two thirds of his class dies the process. I don't think that does well for his employment long term. Yeah, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to guess he does not get tenure the following year. <laughs> if he has it, it's revoked. <laughs> So, you know, we have a lot of setup where we, we meet and introduce one another. Like, literally, the, there's a scene in the hallway. Everyone goes, my last name, what my specialty is. <laughs> <And> they, <laughs> yeah, like, they, do that, they do that, like, Looney Tunes, you know, uh, where they're shaking hands. And, like, you know, you know Romax Johnson, Johnson, Romax. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of the evening, they've all been introduced to this, you know, lava lamp of doom. And... <laughs> Then uh, Etchison, who has set up a bunch of equipment, but he has to uh, teach a bunch of extra credit classes. He goes, I got, I'm going to go home. He doesn't even see the thing. He just like sets up equipment, walks out the door and immediately runs into a pigeon crucified on a couple of twigs. And, and he's right. like, he's like, Hmm, that seems huh. odd. <laughs> <laughs> I usually only see this stuff on Etsy. So to see it in real life, like, we're this really, we're right. really, we're really burying the lead here, and and yeah. who plays the homeless person that uh that that, that kills Etchison? Oh well, please reveal it. It's Alice Cooper. That's right, our old friend from Detroit, Alice Cooper, who with with showed... with clown white on his face for some reason. <laughs> yeah, he's in white face, uh, which is weird for a white guy, but um, <laughs> he's going for it. Uh, and by going for it, I mean moving his hand and just staring upwards, which just, I think is the best Alice Cooper has ever acted. And scowling a lot. Yeah. And he uh, was, ba- he wasn't even cast in the movie. He basically showed up to just gonna, watch filming. I was going to say, he's like, hey, can I be in your movie? <laughs> Pretty much that's how it went down. He just like showed up to watch and Cooper's like, you know what? I need a leader for all these people. Why don't you go put some powder on your face and bring that gag from your stage show where you put a microphone stand through somebody's chest, bring that, and we'll do it with half a fucking bicycle. And that's <laughs> what happens. Uh, this dude gets half a bicycle straight through the chest, uh, right off of Alice Cooper's uh, longstanding stage show. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, his his face is is very iconic because... The, the first copy of this that I bought was on uh, DVD and the DVD uh-huh. cover is not the the poster art. It's the the church and like a, a spooky sky and it's sort of divided in half. And then the, the sort of dark half at the bottom is Alice Cooper's face. So for like a long time, I'm like, is that the Prince of Darkness? Like, I don't totally know. Like, I didn't know before I watched it. And yeah, he's just some, uh, I guess he's credited in the movie as street schizo. So... <laughs> Yeah, I, one thing that kind of dates this movie a little bit is the reason why all these homeless people are gathered is because apparently they are all schizophrenic. Yeah. All, all of them. All of them. They just all have it. <laughs> or all the ones who have it in town have all their all gathered around this church. However you want to play it, it's playing real fast and loose with the whole mental health end of it. And, you know, it was 87. Okay. But still, also, if you ask Alice Cooper what this movie is about, he will give you an answer that has nothing to fucking do with this movie. <laughs> he just 
decided he knows exactly what it's about. And uh, as a noble as the film is, I know he happens to be wrong. Sorry, Alice. Uh, love your work. Uh, Etchison lives, lived as he died, a virgin with a robot. So this uh, prompts a, a, a series of events in which individual scientists uh, look at liquid and get sprayed in the face. It's a little, it's a tap sexual. Yeah, just a skosh. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if there's a Prince of Darkness only fans, like, you're really getting your money's worth. <laughs> From what I can gather, uh, the first here is Susan, who is, as Gina denoted earlier, is often described as radiologist glasses, and um, she gets, uh, you know, a, a face full of old scratch malt liquor right to the dome and apparently it does not taste good and after that they have a a team meeting in which we learn that jesus was an alien like satine gina (laughs) is this a secret visitor sequel i was actually gonna bring that up because i was thinking that same thing when i was watching this i was like oh yeah okay jesus an alien and there's like some weird stuff Uh and i was like this feels like the visitor like (laughs) We, we, we will definitely promote, because we did eventually release that episode on Maine, so uh, we, did, we did promote it as a twofer. It's a good one. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, but one of the weirdest components of The Visitor is the idea that they can't say Satan as if it is trademarked by some like Coca-Cola owned <laughs> Satan. So we have to call it Satine. My favorite <laughs> what? My favorite part of that movie is uh the the rocking awesome theme song for that movie playing as John Houston descends some stairs. <laughs> Where it's like 70s cop show music. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> Where he descends a very, a very long, long staircase escalator that has been closed for reasons I can't imagine. And he's just trying to shuffle down, but you can also tell that he's wearing a truss. So like good for him for making it down those stairs, but it's a, it's a tough shuffle and it's treated like this is some sort of, you know, TV cop show level foot chase. Like TJ hooker is going to burst into it in any second. And it's just really him hoofing it after a nine-year-old with an attitude. (laughs) Going back to the score just a little bit, you know, Carpenter is famous for his themes. He's now basically become a on and off again touring musician, just creating original uh, themes rather than making movies that would go with it. And I think he's much happier that way. And I'd rather have a happy John Carpenter than a miserable John Carpenter. That being said, there is a portion here when we're transitioning from the first act to the second act where the music sounds a lot like the Valerians theme from Space Mutiny. <laughs> Just love. And <laughs> ah, 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 ah. like, oh boy. I just need some ladies wrapped in scarves touching, you know, things from Spencer's gifts <laughs> in the middle of this. I know Space Mutiny came after. Space Mutiny is copying Prince of Darkness, but, you know, <laughs> still. And then we uh, get a scene which Dennis Dunn makes a, has anyone ever told you you could pass for Asian joke? And I'm like, oh, that's a hell of a line. <laughs> wow. And she just, like, could not look more disgusted at him. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? I'm with her. I'm with her. So uh, the next person to get it 
uh, is, is Mullins, who's playing by the insanely named Dirk Blocker. Uh, of course, most people will now know him as Hitchcock on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, or perhaps you're like me, and you instantly recognize him from Poltergeist as the guy who can't transport beer on his kid's bike well. <laughs> uh, but he takes a, a neck snapping from Susan, uh, and eventually he will take a chopstick to the eye after being sprayed in the face by soda. Oh, oh I love that. I love that that's his, uh, we're going to distract him by spraying soda in his face. <laughs> a possessed demonic zombie he thought it was more satan juice and he turned to get some of it and then turns out no no how how would you like a a a, a face full of uh, a fago and like <laughs> right in his face and that's good enough for him to get a chopstick to the eye and he instantly collapses so uh what are, you know victor wong knows his biz so who am i to get in the way of it we then cut from his passing to frank uh, Frank, a character who sexually harasses a married woman for no particular reason. Uh, and also the guy who's primarily known as the person who says, this is Kaka. <laughs> oh, the, yeah. I love that guy. I love that guy. He's the visual effects guy on this film. Like, oh, is that he's right? He's setting up all the computer stuff. It's, it's, uh, it, he was just cast off of uh, a, uh, basically a coordination meeting. Uh, and so he just Carpenter looks across at him and says, Hey, you're walking that bald biz up front and sexual harassment and back hairdo. Uh, how'd you like to get scissored to death in a parking lot by a woman <laughs> and then turned into a bug announcer? And he's like, <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> so long as they're separate paychecks, I'm into it. Uh, but it's, a, it's a hell of a sequence. His, uh, his thing, kinda, when he, when he comes back as like the bug man, yeah. Uh, and he, you, you alluded to it in your, in your intro there, the, you know, I have a message for you and you're not going to like it. Like that <laughs> is, it feels like Satan is this sort of bratty kid in a lot of points in the movie. Like he says sure. that. And then uh, later when uh, Lisa is sort of, tr- or earlier when Lisa's translating things and typing them up and, sh- and like one of the message pops up, like, in fact, you will not be saved. Like this sort of, like, well, actually, I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Like, it just feels like a bratty little brother. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's kind of a dick. He's kind of one of those 80s little brothers it's, in a teen comedy. He has, like, always... he has daddy issues. I mean, it's sort of like, sure. I got to get my dad back. <laughs> just like me. Me and Satan are very, very simpatico. You have a lot in common with liquid <laughs> Satan. So you've got that going for you a hell of a sequence when he gets stabbed to death and then they're just like stomping on some bugs which i don't think are that some of them are real and some of them aren't but that they didn't kill any bugs in the making of this which i find hard to believe but uh they set up a rig later on when he makes that announcement of a collapsible body where he just his one leg goes all bug and his hand goes all bug and then his chest bursts open with bug and he just kind of collapses like like a jenga game with bugs in it. <laughs> Two things I love in this is he's got that really gross kind of wet sounding voice when he's calling out. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. and then later um, uh, when Dirk Blocker shows up again, his head's kind of hanging to the side because his neck's been broken. And I'm like, oh. mm-hmm. <laughs> I, it always makes me think of uh, like Sin City has its problems, sure. but a scene that has always stuck with me is after Benicio del Toro's character is killed off, he has a, he has a throat slashed, and yeah. 
um, Clive Owen is trying to get rid of his body and imagines him waking up and talking to him. And, mm-hmm. he, and he, like, his head keeps, like, swinging around and, like, flopping <laughs> down. He's got this, like, fucked up voice and all because it's like, yeah, I guess that's what, what someone would sound like that they tried to talk and their throat had been slashed. And it's just so, like, I'm, I'm glad that they remember those little touches. Like, you know, okay, he's technically alive but his neck has not healed itself so his head's yeah. still all slumped to the side and that scene in sin city the only one filmed by uh tarantino right exactly uh, he, he's, he's a guest director in the middle of the movie and all of a sudden it, it takes a detour into a long conversation with a dead guy you're like then you learn tarantino directed you're like oh that makes a lot of sense <laughs> uh, so the next two of our many scientists who happen to get it is lisa uh, she can translate many biblical languages. She dresses like the rock in a lot of pages. <laughs> and um, she's not exactly against making out with Susan. Uh, but she ends up with a, a, a she gets a facial of uh, demon juice and uh, she's on the other side instantly. There's a lot of glossy close ups of drool in this movie. Yeah, like I said, it's 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 you know I, I don't I don't I don't like to uh, read between the lines, but it, it's pretty sexual. Right, <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, Dennis Dunn in one of his "I want to get out of here" rants uh, when they're looking for both uh, Mullins and Susan says, "I hope they're both boffing. I hope they went to a nice Chinese restaurant. <laughs> if you want to go to a nice Chinese restaurant uh, in downtown LA, I suggest Yang Chow. Uh, <laughs> order the slippery shrimp. It's excellent." I'll make a note of that. You should. Did you know that Prince of Darkness passes the Bechdel-Wallace test? Interesting. I did not. It does. It absolutely does. It features scenes in which women talk not about a guy. Unless you consider the Prince of Darkness in that column of liquid a guy. I mean, yeah, <laughs> technically I would say. <laughs> <laughs> but they're also talking about each other and how they feel. So they're talking about stuff that isn't guy or liquid Satan related. That is the one nice thing about having a certain amount of women in the movie, even if their characters and several of the dudes characters are slight, like at least they're human beings to a certain degree. Yeah. And it's, it's a fairly, I would say it's a fairly diverse cast too. Like it's not just a bunch of random white people all crammed together like it it, 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 it there's a there's a nice bit of diversity in in uh in races and also ages like it, it doesn't feel like it's just it like if you were to make prince of darkness today they would all be young pretty people that there's no way they're <laughs> science uh there's science students right they would all be uh 25 playing 21 uh, and <laughs> yeah sexy as hell every bit of them symmetrical and, and like all of them would have their shirts on. and they would be there not because of some science study but it would be to win a contest on tiktok or something <laughs> uh, sponsored by dangertainment that's a halloween eight reference everyone <laughs> <laughs> oh God! When are we doing Halloween Eight, Gina? Uh, the, the people demand us to cover Halloween. I guess it's going to uh, happen sometime in the next four or five years. Yeah, I guess. yeah. Give yourself some padding there. <laughs> well, listen. Here's the deal. Like we learned from some of the lesser Friday the Thirteenth that, like, if we prolong something we don't like, it we just get angry about it. And we don't, like, we're not into that. We're not into endlessly making ourselves suffer. And when I think 
about trying to talk about Halloween five. I just <laughs> I just shake my head until it falls off. I can't really handle it. Whereas at least eight has, you know, a kung fu fight. You know, that now that's a Halloween movie, Gina. <laughs> uh and, and also it has uh Busta Rhymes drinking red wine. <laughs> Listen, I don't know if he's a red wine connoisseur. I just like drinking red wine on the job doesn't seem like a Busta Rhymes sort of thing. So I guess he's really playing a character there. Um, so let's get back to our our, our endless list of cast. Uh, we have Calder, um, and he's a microbiologist. He it has an amazing voice. Oh, uh, I, I love, love I, I love Calder, and I feel so bad for him because he just looks like he's just tormented over what's happening to him everybody else is just sort of going along with it you know they're 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 their kiss knights in satan service they're fine with that (laughs) but but calder seems like like he's crying and and like he's sort of alternating crying like this like hysterical laughter and and i just feel so badly for him he's sweating so hard oh my god he so is he really is. He's, he's like, constantly he's, he's like wet once possessed. Sweating the Satan out. <laughs> yeah, I think his I think his scene is when he's possessed and he's singing, was he singing Amazing Grace? And yeah. Yeah, as he mm-hmm. comes up the stairs and is like laughing and then cuts his own throat. And it's like, man, that is that is I, I think I would lose my mind if I were there in that moment. <laughs> he cuts his own throat with a chunk of wood that he takes out of a chair. I mean, it's really tough. Like, that is not an easy way to go, y'all. Here's a preview for Choose Your Own Death Venture. I'm not going out like Calder. <laughs> <laughs> that is not fun. And then we come back to Kelly. Kelly, believe it or not, just in the rule of threes, is also connected to Magnum P.I. <laughs> she played Magnum P.I.'s mom. <laughs> what? I'm not fucking with wait, that. Wait, 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 what? wait, wait, wait. <laughs> About- in a flashback episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was about to say, because she's mom. like the same age or younger than... Yeah, no, I was no, going to no. say, she's, it's she's, a about, she's about 30 here. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's also dressed like a new wave preschool teacher. I don't understand <laughs> that outfit fucking at all. Can anyone explain what she's wearing? Uh, it's no. matching. The top and the bottom match. It, it looks like a pajama set. That you would give to someone for a sleepover? I don't well, know. Well, I mean, they are the they, they are is. like you know camping out. I mean, I'd wear my I'd wear my jammies. Sure. If I was going to be up all night, got to be comfortable, man. You got you got you got to so. be comfortable when you're carbon dating you know, a flask full of Satan. Absolutely. Uh, she receives a bruise early on. Which a bruise. A, a, a bruise. Blue uh, blue oyster cult symbol or something. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh yeah, I bumped into something. What? <laughs> Uh, and like all she wants to do is catch some shut eye but nope she as soon as she lays down she gets a real face full of saint patrick's day green beer Uh, (laughs) it's like it it, this is the same as like if you get a concussion you know they say you're not supposed to lay down and go to sleep if you bump your arm near some liquid satan don't take a nap No, it's not a good sign. But I guess that makes her the chosen one. And so she becomes the vessel, the new vessel for liquid Satan. 
uh, in a scene which we watch an entire fountain of it go in both her mouth and eyes. <laughs> Don't need those. And, and you know, for a little while, she looks like uh, about nine months pregnant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess it's, I guess it's a belly full of Satan. And yeah. and then he apparently peels off an entire layer of skin off her body. <laughs> yeah, she gets a she develops a real skin condition after this. Uh, uh, she should see somebody about it. It just looks painful. Yeah, it's a simple yeah. enough effect, but it it does look really good. Like I, I I feel very unnerved by her every time she's on screen, especially when she's looking in mirrors and her eyes are really big. I'm just like, mm. oh, that looks so gnarly. <laughs> In the middle here, uh, Dr. Paul Leahy, who has a hell of a mouth trumpet, uh, (laughs) gets a straight dose of Lucifer lube to the face, um, just as Donald Pleasance, like, sees it happen, goes, "Mm, I'm out. (laughs) Just goes into a boiling closet. He's like, no, no, too much for me, everyone. Uh, I can't see this. Can't be a part of it. And he just hides. And he hides until the end of the movie. That's what I love. And then he's like, I did it. I I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. I just happened to be trapped, quote unquote, by Kelly's telekinesis where he, she shoves a a closet or some sort of bookcase up against him, but not enough to really hold him up against the wall. It kind of like touches his shoes and he's like, I'm frozen, everyone. I can't move. I mean, he's got to have some good forearm strength to be able to just chuck that axe from a pinned position. <laughs> it's true. I mean, we do see him take a couple swings at a fully possessed Kelly. Uh, he takes off a, an arm. He, de- he de-arms her and then uh, decapitates her, to which she just picks it up off the ground and plops it back on her head. Like, <laughs> yes. that ain't going to work. I'm a Mr. Potato Head now. I, I kind of love that, too, because it's like, oh, yeah, you're you're fighting Satan. I don't think you can just decapitate his vessel and then it's <laughs> over with. Like, I, I love that it's just like, all right, we did it. And then she just puts it right back on, like, no big thing. Let's keep going. Yeah. Uh, we spend a little bit before she's back into action. I think this is the only lull in the movie where there's that, like, Brian attempts to escape in an alleyway and you're kind of like, Brian, Brian. Yeah, that sweet, that scene just feels like it's kind of pointless because it's yeah. he jumps out and then they start encroaching on him and then he climbs back in and it's like, you didn't need that. Like, you probably could have just assumed that they were going to be <laughs> out there. He falls down. It looks like he hurts his ankle. And then he has no plan. He has no plan. What was his plan where there's people on either side of that closed off alleyway? What was he going to do? What was Brian's plan? I have to say that like having gone to the the actual church and walking around, like you could walk Mm -hmm. through the alley and everything. And they had little placards set up with photos from the movie and like explaining what scenes were filmed where. And even though there were people around, that alleyway is still very creepy because it's got a high (laughs) wall on one side and you're essentially just trapped in that little space. And mm. it's it's pretty unnerving. So, like, I don't know what he's thinking. Yeah, I, I'm sure it's like if you go there, you're like, I would not want to be boxed in here no. by a bunch of houseless people who are enthralled to Satan. Yeah. Um. So, basically, Kelly wakes up, tells Lisa and Susan, go kill Dennis Dunn. I'm sick of listening to him. <laughs> I mean, Jane really, can- you know, I mean... <laughs> She kind of cracks the door a little bit, but not all the way. She's like, you work out the rest of it. And then it's, it takes forever to rescue Dennis Dunn. And Brian comes up with the excellent idea 
I'm going to un I'm going to remove all these blockades that are keeping the demon zombies out and I'm going to go rescue him myself and that gets a character named Lomax killed. Um Lomax a character in this movie. <laughs> like I said, there's might be too many characters in this movie. That's the only guy you're just kind of like, "Oh yeah, I forgot that guy was here." Right. He gets killed and like, I'm like, "Who is that again?" Yeah, the the only scene you really ever remember him from is when they introduce the giant jar of liquid and he's the only one who crosses himself. And that's it. Like, that's Lomax's character. Yeah, it's interesting. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because to like, figure out a way to uh, insert this in here. But for a movie about, you know, the devil and, you know, the involvement of priests and all, nobody really relies on religious symbolism to try to repel this this supernatural force. I mean, yeah, you know, when Donald Pleasant throws the axe at the uh, at the mirror, he does, you know, yell out in Latin. But, like, nobody's, like, holding up crucifixes. Nobody's, like, doing anything, like, trying to find, you know, if there's any stashes of holy water left. It's, you know, it's, like, it doesn't even occur to them to try that. No, I mean, they're they're doing all this on sacred ground. (laughs) So, I'm like, none of that fucking matters. Like, it's all kind of window dressing is what Donald Pleasance kind of says in the middle of the movie like we were selling a product and i maybe that's all this is hope and maybe it's because like they're scientists and ultimately it seems like i mean maybe this is just my interpretation but it seems like the movie kind of comes down on the side of like this is all like not religion this is just like weird aliens and monsters and there there is no religion that's gonna like stop this 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 thing lives in another plane of existence and jesus came from space and like we're just telling you that it was because he because he has that speech about how they sort of reframed everything like the the Catholic Church reframed everything. So it made man kind of the center of it all. And that like it was a battle for the for man's soul as opposed to, oh, yeah, there was this weird, powerful creature that was wandering the earth for millions of years. And his son is a liquid creature. And, you know, you know, the, the our salvation that we were, you know, put up at, on the cross is from the from space. And it's like, oh, OK, yeah, none of that means anything. Yeah, it's just Franco Nero trapped in a room <laughs> full of nine to 12 year olds yes. who are bald. <laughs> it's just as stupid as that. One of the things we kind of learn here is that these anti zombies have like one liquid shot in them. Like when Dr. Paul wakes up, he tries to get Brian and Brian like zigs and zags out of the way of it and gives him a clip under the jaw. And he's like, oh, you got me. And that's all he's got for the rest of the movie. He's not they only got the one shot in them uh, to bring you over to the other side, with the exception of Susan. I guess she got more. Who's to say? Yeah, she got the she got the brunt of it, I think, at the beginning. Um, so as we stated earlier on, we're basically driven to a showdown. Once Kelly is up and awake, she tries to finger every mirror she can get her <laughs> hands on until she finds one that's just right. And she tries to bring dear old dad over from the mirror verse uh, over here. And Catherine makes the choice that she's just going to gang tackle her and then... <laughs> Donald Pleasance lobs a scimitar like axe and it breaks the mirror and bye-bye Catherine hope you enjoy 
quote unquote life on the other side and we're all saved. I, I honestly would have loved it if Kelly had tried a little harder to pull Satan out of the little compact mirror. Yeah. Just, just, I think they they had enough budget for a hand, Gina. <laughs> just like, you know, to... tugging one finger and you hear like you hear like a you know this noise and like, oh, oh, come on, Jesus <laughs> Christ. I I, I would I would love I, I know we're basically at the end of the movie but I would love to talk a little bit about those transmissions because um, I think they, they add I think that's part of like the the thing for me that like creates this weird eerie mood yes um, mm-hmm. because as you know the characters are are t- at, like napping and they're waking up from naps but you know as they're waking up they're getting these weird dreams and they're getting little bits and pieces and obviously as the movie goes on they get more uh you you see more of the dream and you get more of the transmission you know it's like supposedly this transmission that's coming from the future and they're talking to them in a dream because they don't have the technology to send a message properly because it's going back in time or whatever and and i just man those things are so uh unnerving and strange yeah i i totally agree with you that that's probably my favorite parts of the movie um and also for me um i have very vivid dreams and and you know if an alien race or you know alien satan were to decide they were going to communicate with with the earth you know i'll probably be like a my, my brain would probably be a big old you know satellite dish for that because i have <laughs> very weird dreams very vivid dreams so anytime i see like you know really unsettling dream sequences in horror movies i think always stick with me like uh, another one is of the exorcist that's yeah that's another you know legendary dream sequence and but this one yeah the the repeated you know everybody's having the same dream that that is very creepy i agree it and it's also like one of those examples of a the first time i can remember quite seeing a um full tilt you know uh found footage style sequence in a movie yeah um so it it, its influence goes pretty far and wide as far as that's i also like how before the before the very last transmission the uh the shadowy figure that's coming out of the church looks like the master from manos (laughs) (laughs) it also looks like uh the the fallen angel from uh fear no evil uh, we're once again talking fear no evil here. On the show. We, we will continue promoting that those episodes until people actually give them their due. Everyone <laughs> enjoys a blousy antichrist. <laughs> but I love, um, I love how like it, it changes, you know, over, over the course of the movie. And then at the very end, when we get the last dream and it's, it's Catherine coming through. And I, I love your idea of that. You mentioned earlier of like, basically we didn't know who the sort of vessel for, satan and the anti-god were going to be and it's like did they make it happen did did the people sending the transmission back to stop it actually influence it to happen and cause you know catherine to be the one who is there and like creating the end of the world basically right or is that just brian's new nightmare true like, yeah is he projecting that we 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 don't know and the this movie is not about giving you answers so i doubt we ever will but it it fucking works it works it yeah. does um so 
what is left for us now is to choose our own death venture. And that is where we decide of the deaths portrayed in this movie to these characters. If we had to choose that way to die, which one would we pick and why? Uh, up for bid, we have die of old age clutching a box. <laughs> Alice Cooper impels you with half a bicycle. The Lucifer's loco uh, right into your mouth and then you're thrown out a window eventually. Uh, get your neck snapped. Uh, filled to the brim with Satan's slushy, stabbed by half a scissor and turned into bugs. Take a hell shot plus defenestration, uh, cut your own throat with a broken piece of wood and have a long drawn out hand to hand combat sequence with Brian or jump into an anti-God portal. Uh, Josh, you're our guest. I choose you to go first. Man, there's so many. Like you, I guess that's part of the the reason there's so many characters because there's so many different ways for people to die. Um, I think, I think I'm gonna go with, I think I'm gonna go with Frank's death just because I loved how it was filmed. I loved the the Jalo aspects, the the long shot of the woman running, the close up of the scissors moving, and like him getting stabbed and and then turning into bugs and being a little. Like, uh, you know, petty child, you're not going to like it. Uh, I think, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to go with that one. You're okay with turning into bugs because that's a real turnoff. Yeah. I mean, we're all going to be there eventually. So, (laughs) well, way to bring it down, Josh. Uh, Gina, what say you? You know, we so rarely have a character that just gets to die peacefully in their sleep. So (laughs) I I think I'm going to take that one. You're gonna die of old age clutching a box. Yeah, I mean, we don't, I mean, we don't, we don't know what that guy's been through, but you know, let's let's assume he had an okay life up to that point. You're probably gonna, you know, have to, you know, have lead a priestly life up until that point. Well, so. You spent your life as a sentinel, basically, you know, keeping keeping uh, eyes on the on the demon portals. So, well, yeah. well you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a real, uh, toughie for me, but I think I'm going to go with the Alice Cooper impales you, uh, with half a bicycle, uh, and then your mouth spurts with a bunch of Twizzler juice. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's probably painful, but what a way to go. I mean, Alice Cooper's in all that complicated white makeup. Uh, I just, I think it's top notch. Uh, I get to die with a Walkman on something I've always wanted. Listening to Alice Cooper. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, uh, before we go on to plugs, I just want to say last episode, we did ask people to, uh, do some reviews and lo and behold, people did review the show on iTunes. And I just wanted to say thank you to hockey, Laura Two. Uh, who says that her favorite uh, death in the movies that we've covered is Jason's sleeping bag beating, which is a a common refrain. Uh, But she also loves the deep fried face death in sorority girls in the slime bowl ball of Rama. Uh, And uh, then uh, Carol also uh, enjoys the show in particular dish by dish. Uh, And then she, and her, the first episode she ended up choosing was Black Christmas 2005. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) There are people who love that movie. We're not amongst them, but we do enjoy the mid-century modern furniture in it. Um, And uh, if you would like to uh, write a review, please put in there. uh, What's your favorite uh, death scene of any of the films that we've covered or haven't? And we'll talk about it here on the air. That's our solemn promise to you, the Kill by Kill listener. Josh. 
Uh, we have one special announcement that we've collaborated on. We're going to have a T-shirt shop at Tee Public, everyone. Uh, and you've desi- uh, designed our, our main T-shirt selection. That's right. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a playoff of your uh, your logo, your current uh, uh, cover art for your podcast right now, and uh, I hope uh, I hope folks like it, and and hopefully we'll uh, we'll have some more designs there uh, soon enough. Yes, uh, I I think people will like these somewhat limited first offerings, and then we're going to expand from there. We're also going to have a steamboat Jason design that we have uh, from from a fan of ours, JS Comics. Uh, and, uh, it's really great. Uh, please, uh, check it out. Just, uh, slash kill by kill is where you will find it. Um, and, uh, listen, people, uh, Josh needs this money. So please <laughs> buy these t-shirts. Um, and, uh, we hope that it's everything that you want. If there's something in particular that you would like us to include in the future, please let us know. Josh, um, where can people find more of what you do outside of our podcast artwork? Yes. So I am uh, a co-host of a show called PredictoCast, uh, where we predict a movie storyline that we know nothing about. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We're, uh, between seasons right now, but we should be coming back very soon. Um, so check us out wherever you get podcasts. I also have a, another podcast called hot diggity dog, where we watch and talk about some of the worst dog movies that you've probably never heard of. Um, (laughs) Gina has suffered through more than her fair share, uh, and it's a lot of fun as well. So yeah, check, check me out on either of those. You can find them wherever you get podcasts. Do it today. Uh, Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? I, write about movies and television at the spool.net. Um, some recent reviews I have done are um, uh, false positive with Ilana Glazer, mm-hmm. which was quite good. Um, by the time this goes up, I will have seen and reviewed the highly anticipated werewolves within, which I am, yeah. I am very excited about. Uh, I am also involved in a little side pod project with uh, our friends Joe from Horror Queers and Jen from the Losers Club. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's called White Ladies in Crisis, uh, in which we are talking about the Apple TV Plus series Physical, uh, episode uh-huh. by episode. So that is in process now. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter under Porcelain72. Do it today, people. Check it out. Um, of course, you can find us on all the internet. Please rate and review us. Next week, we'll have Dish by Dish. It is a special combo episode. We will be talking about episodes five and six with our old friend, Bo North. Um, so if you're following along on a weekly basis, you'll need to watch two episodes in advance of that. Of course, there are harder assignments than watching two episodes of Hannibal. And then we'll be back the week after that with something fun here on Kill by Kill. Uh, we have a fun episode coming up in which we'll be reviewing a TV movie, which was also based on the same thing that Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, is based on. <laughs> um and uh, that will be interesting. So that'll be our Patreon episode uh, for June. Uh, and that pretty much does it uh, for Josh and for Gina. Don't worry, folks. The body count will continue. Uh, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.